Thanks, Joe. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to start by talking about some pet peeves I have. Um, not all of them, because we, we don't have enough time, but there's a few words that are misused in the English language. Um, the first one is uh, decimate. Uh, can anyone tell me what they think the word decimate means? Just shout it out. Anyone? Say again. Pull it apart. Destroy. Yeah, and that's generally how the word is used. But the actual meaning, which Joe rather smugly called out, well, he was right, no, he was right. The actual meaning of decimate is to remove by 10%. But we use it as to sort of totally destroy something, and um, so it's a misuse. Another word is uh, travesty. Joe, why don't you tell us what travesty means? Anyone, what do you, anyone, what do you think the word, you hear the word travesty? What do you think that means? Anyone? Disaster. Shame. Yeah, so that's, again, that's how it's used. People often think it means the same as travesty or something really bad. That's not actually what it means. It means a, a kind of a, a caricature or a distortion. It's a much more subtle meaning. And then probably one of my biggest pet peeves is the use of the word uh, literally. And you probably all know this, you know, <laughs> when you say something is literal, you mean it's not, um, it's not metaphorical, you're not using it as a sort of a describing vehicle, it's something that actually, I am literally standing here on this stage, yet people say things like, oh, I'm literally dying of thirst, when they're not, and I think my favourite example, there was this football match and the commentator commentates this sort of amazing cross that comes in from the right wing and it, it curves beautifully around two defenders and then away from a goalkeeper perfectly to the striker who heads in and the commentator sort of um, excitedly exclaims he's literally put the ball on a plate and, <laughs> and while he had metaphorically put it on a plate he didn't have a, a, an actual plate and the, the ball went on it um, and we're talking today about patience patience is a fruit of the spirit and whilst it's not really a peeve of mine I think we, we do slightly misuse the word patience. If you think about a time when you might say, I'm being really patient, I think when we say patient, we often mean uh, irritated. We might be presenting calmness, or if you're like me, probably a bit of passive aggression. But usually when we say we're being patient, internally often we're seething, we're hopping mad. And when the Bible talks about patience being a fruit of the Spirit, it uses the Greek word macrothumia, which literally means, literally, means long-suffering or long-temper, the ability to endure suffering without complaint. So a person with patience or a person with macrothumia patience is really slow to anger. It's not about how you present externally, rather a description of our internal emotional state. Now our culture has impatience hardwired into its DNA. We can get whatever we want, pretty much whenever we want. You know, download speeds and streaming means you can watch the latest film, you can listen to pretty much any song ever recorded almost straight away, and, and God forbid you have to wait 20 seconds for it to load because the internet's running slow. And you want to buy something, a few taps on your phone, you can get next day delivery, 
same-day delivery. Amazon, I don't know if you've seen this, Amazon are now trialing drones that will fly your purchase to your house within hours or even minutes of, of you ordering it. And, and there's this new app now called uh, Getter. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, they will basically, uh, they've got these kind of electric mopeds and they'll bring you groceries. This isn't like online supermarket shopping you do it the day before and you have an available slot. It's, they sort of get it to you in 10 minutes. You know, this window of, of how long we have to wait for things is becoming smaller and smaller. I wouldn't be, I genuinely would not be surprised if Amazon didn't come out with uh, yesterday delivery. <laughs> where, where they create a sort of a, and if you're listening, Jeff Bezos, I've copyrighted it. You know, imagine they come out with some complex algorithm that will predict what you want before you know you want it and send it to you. And um, we can get any kind of knowledge, any, any pretty much any knowledge you want, apart from things like how to build a nuclear bomb probably, you can get it online. You can just Google it from the weather to obscure trivia to, to how to reset your router because your download speeds are just criminally low uh, or just the answer to your kids' homework or your schoolwork. And I can confirm that in um, lockdown and homeschooling, I did uh, a lot of Googling and learned a lot of things about digraphs and phonemes and things I don't think I ever learned at school. Um, and of course, the convenience that this has brought us is phenomenal. It's luxurious. It's wonderful. And, and I'm not suggesting it's, it's a bad thing. But the question I would, I would want to ask is what has that done to us? What is that culture that we've created? What has it done to us? Because the relationship between humans and culture is not a one-way street. It's a symbiotic relationship. They both feed off each other. And just as we, as humans, as a society, have collectively created and shaped the culture, so too that culture shapes us and changes us. And I've, I believe it's made us feel more entitled. I believe it's made us feel more like we have a right to almost anything. And if we can't have something, or if we can't have it when we want it, sometimes we, we get angry. It's consumerism on steroids. And we've seen, we've seen the ugly side of that over the last 18 months. Um, does anyone remember the toilet paper panic buying? Does anyone remember that? Right? Seems so long ago. Um, so what happened is early on in the pandemic, some people started buying lots of toilet paper. And no one is actually quite sure how and why it all started, right? Uh, some people have suggested it was maybe people thought they'd be working from home and were going to need a lot more toilet paper. But it, it, it's one for historians and sociologists uh, and maybe uh, doctors to work out. Um, but basically, it essentially snowballed, and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. People started buying toilet paper. People saw other people buying toilet paper, thinking, oh, well, I'd better buy some extra toilet paper. And then people started buying in bulk and would go to the shops and buy, like, 50 rolls, and, and then the shelves would empty, and as soon as new stock came in, people on social media were like, Tesco has toilet rolls, and everyone would go down, and there were even cases of people fighting in shops over the last roll of toilet paper. And I watched one video where this shopper had, had got a trolley full of toilet, 
toilet paper. And I don't mean kind of level. I mean, it's a mountain of toilet paper, sort of precariously balanced. And what they've done is they've just gone to the aisle, just taken all of the toilet paper. And this other shopper was um, having a go at them and saying, what are you doing? You don't need all this toilet paper. You, 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 no, there's none for anyone else. And then eventually pleading with them, saying, look, I just need one pack. And then this person just looks them in the eyes and says, no, it's mine. And I remember thinking, firstly, I was obsessed over why this person needed this amount of toilet paper, but also like, what's happened? How have we got to this place? What's, what's, what's going on in the world? And, and this was despite retailers and manufacturers all saying, repeatedly, you know, the people who make toilet paper and sell toilet paper, they were all saying, if you just buy what you need, we won't run out. I was chatting to a neighbour who told me he'd really stocked up on toilet paper. I said, oh, how much? He told me how much. And we did like a basic back of the envelope calculation, like how much do you think you'd use in a week, in a month, and how many rolls you got. He'd amassed enough toilet paper to last him for three years. He's still got it. And eventually shops had to put up signs saying, you know, only one pack of toilet paper allowed per person. It, just madness. And, but we also, while, while that's partly comical, we also, we also saw that sort of sense of disregard for others in attitudes towards masks and lockdowns. Um, I think the majority of people in this country dealt really well with lockdowns, with masks, with uh, all the other mitigations. And, you know, the, there was just this sense of the country coming together during restrictions because we had to protect the vulnerable, protect the NHS, and just you know, collectively do the right thing. But a, a not insignificant number of people were really angry about the changes. Now, I found the lockdowns hard. I hate wearing masks, they steam up my glasses. When I put the mask on, I've got to take the glasses off. And people have told me all sorts of techniques to stop your glasses steaming up and I've Googled it and none of it works. And, uh, but, but I, along with most people in the country, upset, accepted it. It was a necessary inconvenience, it was a civic duty. Um, but not everyone saw it this way. Some people were incensed that their lives couldn't continue as normal. They were outraged they had to wear a a mask in a shop or on a tube. They were incandescent, they couldn't go to the pub. They were furious when the government said they couldn't socialise in someone's house. And you know, this was framed in, in different ways. To some, they claimed it was an infringement on their human rights. Some people said COVID wasn't real, um, or that the cure was worse than the disease, or the government were using it as an ex excuse to bring in a a dictatorship. One person, and this is on YouTube, one person even said that the lockdowns happened because Boris Johnson was a socialist and part of a global left-wing conspiracy, which I, that left me rather speechless. Um, but, but whatever the narrative people give for not wanting to inconvenience themselves for the greater good, that motivation nearly always stems from a sense of entitlement, a sense of selfishness, a belief that what I want trumps the needs and concerns of others. Like the shopper with a mountain of toilet roll saying, it's mine. And in contrast, those who willingly endured all the restrictions 
for the greater good. We're demonstrating that macrothumia patience, that, that, that the Greek word that the Bible uses to describe patience as fruit of the spirit. They said, it's not about me, it's about doing what's right. And macrothumia patience is about putting others' needs above yours and being at peace about it. Macrothumia patience is a place of calm and letting go. And macrothumia patience is more about your internal response than the external one you present to the world. And macrothumia patience is a countercultural revolutionary act in a society that says, my rights and my needs and me, 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 me is what's important. And we saw in the reading earlier about Jesus on the cross, we saw he's dem- the perfect demonstration of this macrothumia patience. He's been let down and betrayed by his friends, mocked by his people, framed and slandered by the rich and powerful elite. He's literally a victim of brutal colonial state violence. And you, you kind of think, if anyone had a right to not be patient, to not have that macrothumia patience, if anyone, it would have been Jesus right there. But what does he say? What are the things he say? He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He's thinking of others. He says to the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. He's showing the ultimate patience, macrothumia patience. That says it's not about me. It's not about what I deserve. It's not about what I need. It's not about what I should have. It's about why am I here? How can I serve others? So in a bit we're going to have another song of worship. But just before that, and just before uh, the children come back, let's just take a few minutes and can I invite you to close your eyes and as you close your eyes can you think of a situation that you are in or will be in that's challenging one that will really test your patience perhaps even it's a situation related to children I know it is for me as you close your eyes can you Picture in your mind's eye, as, as visually as you can, that situation. And maybe you're seeing how you've responded impatiently in the past. But can you imagine what it would look like if you were able to approach that situation with God's perfect macrothumia patience? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What, what would it sound like? What difference would it make? to you, to others around you. And if you can, just before we move into a final song of worship, just try and sit in that place of calm, of peace, God's peace. The Bible describes God's peace as something that transcends understanding. You can feel it, you can know it, but you can't understand it. And know that that peace is available to you, that macrothumia patience. You can 
access it. You can live in it. And it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you.